0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 98, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Um, If you are listening to the audio version of this, be reminded that you can find us in full Technicolor over on YouTube. Um, If you are on YouTube already, then just make sure you hit that like and subscribe thing, you know, hit the box, leave a comment, all of that good stuff, because that would help us a ton. Now, that being said, episode 98, two away from 100. Is it? Well, it is. Wow.
1: There we go. Are we doing something special for number 100? Well, I think we're in the early planning stages. It is very early planning <laughs> and I'm not convinced we're going to get there. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it
0: should be fun. We've got some we've got some ideas. Um it should be fun for sure. So, anyway, for today, what have we got Well, it's actually been it's been busy. Like the last couple of weeks have been busy with lots of busy stuff. We're really busy with loads of yeah. busy stuff. Yeah, wow, busy to to a degree that I'm really not used to
1: wow. since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, it's been yeah. yeah, it's been nonstop for a few weeks, really. But yeah, it's been busy a couple of weeks. Um, what have we what have we done since? What did we do last episode? Oh, Dave was on. <laughs> yeah, of course he was. Yeah, Dave Williams. In
0: fact, um, you can see our lovely faces in Dave Williams' latest video. Yeah. Um, if you head
1: over to Dave Williams, um, or would it be I, Dave Williams, on YouTube? I, Dave Williams. Yeah. yeah. And to pay homage to him, we have pink behind us today, as well as our usual blue. (laughs) Only for you, Dave. That's just for you, Dave. (laughs) And if you're watching this, make sure you comment.
0: Yeah, let us know whether you like the new color in the background. So we have a little split color scheme going on there. Mm. But um, we like it. We thought we'll we'll stick with it for a while. We'll stick with it for a while. You know, changing things up. (laughs) Anyway, so we've been busy um, doing a number of different things. Um, We did a three a, uh, three heads in a row talk. Yep, um, a week or so ago, yeah, which was a live shoot and a live edit, um, session in front of an audience, yeah, which was very cool. So that was uh, that was over in Watford, a little town, just outside of London, yeah. Um, and that was really interesting. Actually, I really enjoyed doing that.
1: Yeah, it was was really good, and we had a surprise visit at the same time, didn't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, surprise for you, really, but surprise for me. I, Dave Williams. That's yes, right. I'm, I'm only calling him I, Dave from now on. <laughs> Um, so I, Dave, was there um, and he, you know, so I modelled for one part of it, Vogue, and uh, he modelled for another part of it, yeah, Vogue, and uh, then you did the edit. We did, uh, we filmed the whole thing, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Just for um, prosperity, but we might make some of that, if not all of it, available.
0: Yeah. So that will be on our channel um, mm-hmm. in a different playlist because um, we're trying yeah. to, you know, we're trying to kind of fan out a little bit. Um, with some different things. There's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to be happening over the next uh, month or two um, on the channel yeah. as well. So if you are listening to
1: the audio version, check that out. So that talk was obviously, it was about your, um, how you go about shooting your three heads in a row style mm-hmm. portraits. And I learned a lot just from sat there listening and and modeling Vogue. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's all sort of blue steel. What was the other one? Blue steel. Oh, I can't remember. I have, Magnum. A, Magnum, that's Magnum. it. Magnum. Yeah. And, uh, but there's all sorts of techniques in there that you can apply to any portrait or any type of photography, really. Uh, you'll you'll learn a lot. Uh, well worth a watch when it's available.
0: Yeah, so the interesting thing about this, I think the thought behind it was really, um, you know, the realisation that when, when, more often than not, let's say, whenever I've, you know, attended... Um, a portrait photography talk, or a demo, or something like that. It's really usually all about either the lighting or the posing, mm-hmm. one of the two, um, and and nobody really ever mentions anything about building a connection with your model, and uh, you know, and facial expressions. Yeah, and so you know, in in my mind, it's always like you know, I very often look at at images, uh, portrait images, where you know the lighting is beautiful. And the model is is beautifully posed and even the costume's great and all the rest of it. But then you look at the face and it's dead. Mm. You're dead behind the eyes, basically. And with the three heads in a row um, project, it's the exact opposite that I'm trying to achieve with that. It's all about the facial expression. You know, the lighting's always the same in all the shots. Uh, the whole setup is always the same. It's just what makes it funny is seeing people with these mm-hmm. really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, outlandish... Facial expressions, yeah. which is which is the thing. And so in order to achieve that, especially with somebody that you don't know, um, it's it's really all about building up trust so that you can push them past that line of of where they would normally be comfortable. That's it. You know, and so and that's really the thing that I don't really feel. Um, that's not the sort of thing that's that's often talked about. It's like how to build up that connection with your with your subject. You know, how to build up that trust. Um, and how to really get somebody to give you those expressions mm. and feel good about
1: it. I hope that all those that were were watching on the in, on the night and um, if you guys out there um, go and watch it at some point in the future um, are able to see past the fact that the style of expression you're trying to get is specific yeah. to this type of portrait that you're doing, mm-hmm. but. The way you go about getting it can be applied across the board. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, any 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 headshot, any portrait that you're taking of someone, um, it's easily applied. Oh, easily absolutely. Applied.
0: And the same thing really is true. Um, you know, if you're just doing headshots, for example, yeah. You know, because you still you have to build up that connection with the you know with your client, mm. um, and you have to build up that trust. And you know, I always think that that's extremely difficult to do when. You know when you're doing a 20 minute session, right. like an in out type of a thing, um, that's never sat very well with me. And I've found since I changed the way that I do things and I just factor in more time, um, that I actually get vastly better results. Mm-hmm. And 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 ultimately, that's really what matters to me: the quality of it, of the images um, does matter to me, and it, it also matters
1: to to my clients, obviously. Yeah, you know. So and the interesting thing is they may not necessarily know why that shot is better than Correct. one before. One where it was done in the first twenty minutes, let's mm. say, but they're happier with it, yeah. And that's absolutely. ultimately that's all that that's it. That's all that really matters, right? So, and, yeah. and conversely, that, that ends up meaning that you can you can command more cash for those sh- sessions. A because you m- you might be taking a longer time, but more more importantly, is because you're producing a, a higher quality image yeah, because sure. you're taking that additional time. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah so that, I mean that's you know that that usually works out, and I think it's. I find that especially in the beginning photographers tend to spend a lot of time you know trying to work out how to light things properly and you know how to pose you know the subject and all that kind of stuff as I said Um, but the idea of of actually you know building up that connection is the thing that comes very very much last and in my head, it's like since we're taking a photo of another human being, surely that connection should be the first thing in your mind mm. and everything else comes afterwards. Mm. Because, you know, even if you have a a shot that's not, you know, that's just lit really well, but not it's not like outstandingly awesome, if you have a really great expression, then that shot's definitely going to be superior to something that just looks dead, but is amazingly lit.
1: Yeah, in my view, anyway. It's a shame, it's, isn't it? Because that's exactly the way around it, it should be and But the other way around is how it in reality it ends up, isn't it? And you know, uh, sorry, my mic is getting lower and lower. (laughs) I need to tighten myself up.
0: You know, there's an element of
1: uh, obviously there's an element of confidence. You know that uh, that that you have to have as a photographer. That's the problem, isn't it? It Is the confidence and the ability. God forbid you have to talk to another another person. Yeah. You know, (laughs) if you if you're not comfortable talking to people at all that you don't know, then perhaps portrait photography is not for you. Correct. On the other hand. It might be for you if you can force yourself to get through it and to into certain situations. And I, I know ever since I started doing any kind of video and photo work that my um, ability to connect with someone I don't know and talk to people I don't know is greatly improved. Oh, sure. yeah, you know, I've got far more confidence in myself and, um, you know, how to how to hold a conversation almost with someone yeah. that you don't know and to get straight into it like you've known them forever yeah exactly you know and that's kind of where you want to want to get to yeah
0: so the first half of, of that um of that top reel really deals with the shooting part and the second half which it most likely is going to be a second like another a second video um that's the the whole post-production the editing process mm. of that so where i go through all the different steps and um, that are taken out know, to get to the um to the end result and you know and create the three heads in a row look, although that being said, the techniques I go through and I demonstrate in that in a video they're really pretty standard um standard yeah. techniques if so we're talking about you know cleaning up the background, we're talking about um you know skin retouching, we're talking about um dodging and burning all that you know we're talking about applying textures to backgrounds and all that kind of stuff um that is that is really pretty standard no matter what you do in portrait photography and so you know that's that in itself can be can be useful i think mm. no matter what style you should um so all in i think gives a really it's a really um really good really positive
1: email. yeah there's a lot a lot of good feedback at the end too mm. um so you know that's a big reason why we want to make it available to you guys out there is because there was a lot of positive feedback and which means hopefully it'll be useful for, for anyone. Absolutely. So, and you know, hopefully we'll do similar talks um, in the future,
0: which uh, would be fantastic, you know, and uh, if you are a member of the Watford Camera Club, well <laughs> done for attending. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Little shout out there. So that was, uh, that was great. Um Yeah. And Dave Williams was there as well. Um, that was a total coincidence because, uh, I mean, the only reason why he was there actually was because, uh, he, you know, we had a phone conversation that afternoon and he goes like oh i saw on i can't remember instagram or something i saw that you're you know, holding this talk and i'm like yeah and he goes like oh where is it um and i said oh, i was in in watford the place in watford and he goes like oh i'm only like two hours away what time is it and I was like whatever it was 7 45 he was like yeah i can be there <laughs> so i thought i thought i won't tell you specifically um so there would be a
1: would be a surprise and the funny thing is, I pulled into the car park, still didn't notice his massive green van. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was only when I turned around, I, clocked, I finally clocked it.
0: But to be fair, his van was actually parked in the shadows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Much like you, Dave. Always in the shadows.
0: <laughs> anyway, so that was good. Awesome fun. Now, the other thing we did was we shot the Battle of the Bands final. Mm. Oh, my God. That was... That took a couple of hours, didn't I? Oof. Yeah, that was uh, that was a marathon. But uh, that was the first actual kind of rock concert shoot I've done literally since before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, so the first time in two years. Yeah. Uh, pretty much exactly, because yeah, it, it was been, the right. last concert shoot I did before the pandemic, because it was the beginning of March. And then it all hit. Yeah, that's and right. And then it hit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember because it was meant to be at the end of March originally, mm-hmm. and then um, the first lockdown came in. They the venue pulled it forward, so the date changed, which was annoying at first. But then um, it turned out to be a godsend because had it remained on the original date, it would have never happened. Would never happened. So, yeah. so yeah. So that was a, that was the thing we can talk about that because I think Jenny uh, from you know, I gather people are interested in um, in concert photography. Uh, we we ha- we will actually have. Um, a really awesome concert photographer on the show in the uh, in the next few weeks so you know uh, I'll keep you posted about that so that'll be interesting but mm-hmm. yeah so from a you know from a video perspective because from a photo perspective it's hard work it's hard work all the way through um, and we'll talk about camera settings and all the rest of it in a minute but from a video point of view because you filmed the whole shebang yeah how was that
1: I'm still tired from it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when did we arrive? Nine ish. I think I got there at yeah. nine ish. Whatever it was. I uh, got home at what? One, nine in the morning. Nine a.m. People got home at one a.m. Mm. I think in the end. Yeah. Quick stop at McDonald's on the way back. Right. Nice. Wait. Am I not allowed to say that? Oh no. Were, were you allowed to be at McDonald's that night?
0: No? I was. Uh, was I at McDonald's once or twice that day? I came twice.
1: Oh, oh yeah, twice. That's it was twice. Oh, it was twice. It was twice. That's all we had though. Ah, oh, happy days. That and a couple of coffees um oh.
0: in brackets oh my god i found some awesome awesome smash burger recipes of some some <laughs> local burger recipes um from different different places across north america oh my god barbecue's coming
1: ah yeah
0: and that will be on youtube
1: it's been nice weather the last couple of days
0: yeah it's you? been it's not quite barbecue weather but oh well, i don't care this these these recipes will need to be need to be tried nice i'll report more but later
1: <laughs> but yeah it was uh it was a long old day um the, tricky, the the tr- trickiest thing to begin with was working out where to place a couple of static cams. right? Because um, it was only going to be me on video, so I wanted a couple of different angles that were available. Um, and then working out, based on available lenses and camera bodies, what mm. would be the right one to put where. And, yep, that's right. Once it all got set up, changed the minds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of that. But, yeah, no, it worked out well. We ended up having a... Um, um, a kind of wide, high shot, which was up in the lighting booth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it looks like, it feels like it was going to be a really steep angle on the stage, but it, it wasn't, actually. Mm-hmm. It was still quite head-on and worked worked really well. Yeah. Um, just about got the whole stage in, and a little bit of the f- first couple of rows. Right. Um, so that was great. Stuck a, another camera up on the, to the side of the stage shooting in, I think I was just a GoPro on that in the end. And then I was running around with a gimbal. Mm. Um uh filming just random clips and close ups and um and whatnot. Um but yeah it was frick, that was really exhausting. Really, really exhausting. Um what I have found, I've looked back to back at some of the footage, is these static cam up top it's come out looking great. Mm. The GoPro has come out looking like GoPro. I mean, what do you want me to say about that? It just looks like GoPro. Rubbish. (laughs) As good as that stuff looks. And then, um, so I was using the R6 on the gimbal um, for weight, mostly. Hmm. And so, I feel like, I feel like I overexposed a lot of it slightly. Okay. Not that it's caused a problem, but I feel like my raw footage was ever so slightly overexposed. Hmm. And I'm, I've been racking my brains as to how I managed to do that. And I think I was relying too much on my meters.
0: Right. Oh. Right. Okay.
1: And there's a, there's you know, I, I can't even remember the R6 has got a waveform on it. Do you know what? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it does on video. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think it does. Um, and so I was relying on that and you also get the, uh, the, the, the standard kind of meter mm. at the bottom as well. So I was paying attention to those and what I don't think I saw was um, that some of the, the highlights were clipping. As you can understand with all the lights that are on stage, to expose someone's face and keep those from clipping, those lights from clipping is pretty much impossible to do. Um, oh, hello. Hello, kitty cat. Are you joining us? And so um, I would generally underexpose a bit on that yeah. um, to try and retain some of those, those high highlights. And that in itself can cause a bit of slight problem. It can make, mean your footage is noisier because you're underexposing a, a little bit. So when you're bringing up the shadows in log in particular, it does bring up a lot of the noise that's there. Hmm. So it's a real fine balancing act. And I think in this occasion, I was just slightly, maybe half a stop over most of the time. Smokes, can you um, can you go? Huh? So we're gonna take a slight pause here while we remove an animal from the scene. Smokes, come here. Come on. Come on, come on, there you go. Down you go. And she's gone. Um yeah so I, th- I think some of that's clipped a little bit but i don't think that's the end of the world hmm. um it's not really that much, much of an issue um thankfully you know with the you know where the, where it is noisy too um it's what was your mate, uh, what was your metering mode uh what would it have been in this instance i mean i was just paying attention to the waveform so it doesn't really matter so no. you see You see the whole, you see everything everywhere. So for those who who don't know exactly what a video waveform will show, is it will show your shadows at the bottom and your highlights at the top and the image from left to right. Um, So if you were to overlay the actual image on the waveform or the waveform over the image, it would all correspond. So if you put a waveform up large and you were to, on a static cam, and you moved your hand like that, you would see your hand move in the waveform. That's literally all you really need to know about a waveform. And but what you, I mean, you then need to know well where should skin fall on that waveform, um, which IRE that should fall on, um, and when you're shooting in log, you need to know actually where your um, your highlight and your black clipping is because it's not zero and one hundred, right? It's more like ten and eighty depending on the log profile. Okay. Um, so you've just got again. You just got to be aware of mm. some some of that information. And when you're shooting a concert, it's okay for black to clip. Yeah. Oh it's yeah, all, for sure. It's all dark, it's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> um, provided the right stuff is exposed mm. correctly. So that's that's um, that's a very quick introduction to a, a mm. waveform monitor. So I mean, the thing about
0: metering, you know, on a like in a photographic context, um, it's it's really. If you're using the the built-in light meter, which you can, mm-hmm. um, and it's useful um, in that sort of situation, um, then you need to make sure you've got your camera set to the to the right metering mode. Mm-hmm. Because if you think like, what do you typically use? Um, spot, spot metering. Yeah. yeah, because if you think about it, the, the difference between let's say matrix metering, which is what it's called in light mm-hmm. cameras, which basically takes the overall frame into account, and spot metering is that, and spot metering, you know, you point your your focus your spot essentially. Um, on a particular part of the frame, and it will just literally just meter that bit there. Yeah. Um, a concert situation is tricky because you have, you know, bright lights on stage, and then you have a severe lack of light in in other parts. So, so really, and you've got moving lights as well. So, if, so you know, you you typically spot meter, and you want to spot meter for the the face of the performer, mm-hmm. technically speaking, and that's and that usually gives you a, a pretty decent read out, and then you make a decision as to whether you want to underexpose or not you know
1: so would you typically let's just say in the first song would you spot meter, to say the singer's face for argument's sake and get your exposure about right and just leave it at that unless something drastically no. changes
0: so the way i do it and again this you know you speak to different concept photographers and they'll they'll have slightly different methods but what works for me is that um i set i lock my ISO. Um, so I don't use auto ISO or anything like that. Yeah. It's usually locked. I mean, in this case, I think it was locked at about twenty five hundred or thirty two hundred. So I can't remember something like that. Um, and then uh, the aperture is close to wide open, so two point eight usually or three point two, mm-hmm. about about there. Um, and then I adjust the exposure with the shutter speed. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's really useful because you know, the shutter speed is basically on the, on the selection wheel on the back, on my th- basically I control with my thumb. Mm-hmm. And so I can flick that left and right really quickly. So when I see the meter go out dramatically, and I already know that I want to underexpose by about half a stop to a stop roughly. But when that meter shows, when it goes off, um, I can then regulate really quickly, literally within a split second. Mm-hmm. So if it goes, you know, if um, my meter goes down, into the minus area too far, I'll basically drop the shutter speed, and I know I have sort of a, I have a lower limit of about one twenty-five roughly, um, or you know, one hundred twenty-fifth of a, you know of a second, um, and then when it gets really bright, one one twenty-fifth, yeah, and then when you know when it gets uh, when it gets really bright, then you know it's just a flick or a couple of flicks with the thumb the other way. And it brings the um, it brings the speed up to like 400, whatever, 500.
1: And how are you changing based on your location? Because um, you don't have face detection on on the body you use, right? No. So are you literally manually moving your spot around to that person's face well, to focus? I mean, okay, and then... so if, if you
0: think about it, um, the spot is, is pretty much going to be in the upper half of your frame. Mm-hmm. So you, I don't yeah. have it central. That's mainly because... Uh, that's where your face would be when yep. you take a shot like that right so really there not there isn't really very much um you know the, the face is usually pretty much bang on there you mm-hmm. know um it might just be that you know you need to really quickly ever so slightly adjust your um you know your camera position but it's it, all of that happens within a split second there's really no um there's not much to that the important part is really being able to regulate the the exposure with your thumb yeah, but with the shutter speed that's how i do it other people do it differently and that's all cool yeah. but that's how i do it and it, it works for me um it's you know again especially in a situation like that where you have changing lights you know people annoyingly uh move around on the stage as well so this is very different from shooting a, a classical concert for example where people are seated or they're, they're sort of locked into the same position uh, where you said something once and you can pretty much forget yeah. it give or take that's it um Classical concerts are harder because they're usually more dimly lit and everybody dresses in black and, you know, you, a lot of the instruments are very dark in colour, like mm. cellos mm. and buttons or whatever. So you really, you know, you have this sea of darkness and you have, like, some picky face poking out. Um, that's, you know, that's that's the problem you have with uh, with classical classical concerts. But with a rock concert, you know, you've got moving lines of different colours, um, people wear different things, you know, they running around like crazy. So everything's constantly changing. So just just um, changing things with my thumb is just a, a super fast method of just flicking my thumb left or right, um, and all it takes sometimes is just a couple of flicks, and that's literally how long does it take? Mm-hmm. Just a split second, you know, um, and that's it. It's it's back button uh, back button focus. Yeah. So I just separate the focusing from the from the shutter button, um, and it usually works quite well. And it's it's on consistent autofocus, so when I keep my thumb or my finger on the um on the you know, focus button, then it will just constantly With continuous just, yeah, yeah, continuous focus. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um it works that works for me under those circumstances. Um would it be nice to have like eye detection? Yes, absolutely it would. Mm. Pff, totally, you know, absolutely wouldn't have to worry about focusing for sure. Um but I'm just so used to doing it like this that mm-hmm. um that's not really much of a problem. But you know, Coming back to the metering mode, if I were to meter in, like let's say, matrix metering, which again takes the whole frame into account, um, my actual meter readings would be different. This is the only difference in the whole thing. Remember mm. when you have to build a light meter, um, the, the midpoint, which is usually zero, that's your optimal lighting situation. And if the, if, if the needle points to the right, you're overexposing if it points to the left it's underexposing right so that bunch is simple so changing from one metering mode to another basically essentially means that the way the camera meters things is different and therefore the the readout on the meter is going to look different so um, whilst you know in in spot metering as i'm metering for the face it might be Perfectly exposed, or it might show me that it's perfectly exposed because it's exposing just for the face, mm-hmm. and it's disregarding everything else that might be in darkness around that. Um, if I switch that to matrix metering, it would show me probably two stops underexposed. Mm. Yeah, because now it's taking the whole frame into account. So the metering mode makes a massive, massive difference. And actually, the whole thing for me wouldn't work if I wasn't in mm-hmm. in spot metering. So this is really super important yeah. in that yeah. um, in that situation. Yeah and you know spot metering doesn't work for for everything sometimes um it really is not very useful like for instance when we're shooting properties um their matrix mode is much much more um appropriate because it takes out it makes it's, more sense yeah it reads it? out the whole because there isn't a subject let's say yeah so to speak in that that, that case right exactly yeah and you want to get everything to, to the midpoint where everything is approximately well exposed rather than you know, of course if you're shooting um, an artist or a musician on stage, the face is the most important thing. I mean, you know, that's what you want to expose for. Or if it's if you're taking a close-up shot of somebody playing a guitar and then it's the hands, for example. Yeah. You know. So that, that's that sort of thing. Um, there's always a lot of movement and you know, I think the thing about motion blur in concert photography is um I don't know. I mean sometimes people have too much of a hang up about um, seeing motion in imagery. It's all about people are, you know, trying to work out how to freeze uh, movement in a constant situation. And that's actually much more difficult because now you're talking about much higher um, shutter speeds and then, of course, you need to uh, counter-regulate and even if you're using, um, let's say, a prime lens, for example, you know, a 1.4 lens or something like that, which gives you extra aperture to play with, which means you can increase your shutter speed. Uh, which is cool, but of course now you're, uh, you might run into depth of field issues. Mm. Yeah. That being said, you're actually far enough away from your subject for that to usually not necessarily matter that much. Yeah. But um, the real disadvantage of shooting with prime lenses, in my opinion, is that you're really stuck with one focal length. And in a constant situation, I zoom all the time. Yeah. All the time because.
1: Um, you're just gonna end up with, a, most effectively, the same same shot. <laughs> yeah, and <it's>, yeah, that's <laughs> really over, right?
0: You know, and the thing is, like, and you can you can argue, well, you could have, um, you know, two bodies, but you still have to switch, so you're missing a lot because you're constantly switching between bodies. Yeah. And whilst that's happening, you know, a lot of stuff happens on stage, and you might miss stuff. Then yeah. um, the other thing is, if you are, I mean, let's say you went to a concert, and it's like a, a friend of yours or something playing a band or whatever, and you shoot the whole concert, and you've got like. 12, 15 tracks to shoot, or 20 tracks to shoot, fine. You can change lenses out and do all that kind of stuff. Um, if you only have two or three mm-hmm. songs to shoot, you need to vary everything really quickly. So you get a great variety of different shots. And yeah. in, in this particular case, it was actually two songs. So each band played two, two tracks. Um, and so my strategy there was really simple. You know, I, I shoot with one Body, um, I shoot with a 2470. For the first song, um, it's it's relatively wide, and I get the wider shots in. And I actually also get an idea of how people move Mm -hmm. on stage. Then for the second song, I shoot with a 72-200. And that um, then gives me the opportunity to actually get some of the the details in. Um, And typically for a third song, I'll then break out... Something that's a little bit more fun, like you know, a fourteen to twenty-four. We get some really super wide shots. Mm. Um, they look awesome, especially when you're close to the subject. One of my favorite shots is actually when you're really close to you just just in front of the stage. You're really close to somebody's pedal board, like something, you know, one of the guitarists or something. And it's that moment just before they press the the pedal when you've got the foot close to the pedal board. You can see the underside of the sole, and then you can see the rest of the body, sort of almost like you know kind of fading away into the background because it's such a super wide lens mm-hmm. the proportions are slightly distorted which makes it look really quite interesting but also because it is such a super wide lens all of that's in focus. Yeah. So you get everything focused from the yeah. the sole of the shoe to the back of the head you know and uh, and you're relatively close to the whole thing and it's you know that's those inter- well I like those kind of shots because I think they're interesting. Yeah, um, But that's to me that's the um that's the thing that usually happens on the third track mm-hmm. just because I have something that's a bit different because I've done all the bread and butter shots already at that point, And I can, I can play a little bit. So if there was a time for me personally, and again, if you shoot concerts and you know, you do things differently, actually it'd be interesting, you know, get in touch and, and let us know how you do it. But the way I do it is, is that the third track for me is playtime, <laughs> you know, so I can, <laughs> I can try like a much wider lens, like a 14. Um, I can break out um, a prime lens you know, because everything I need is actually in the bag already mm. by
1: that point. Very. I think, um, it's interesting because you, what I say do you typically find yourself shooting at in these concerts? What? What What I say do you normally end up shooting at? Um, so it really depends on the
0: venue. I mean, anywhere between 1600 and 6400, I guess. As
1: high as that, yeah. Yeah.
0: You see, uh, I mean, 6400, to be honest with you, um, is that would be probably more likely in but uh, in classical concerts. Yeah. It's just because you haven't got the big floodlights and they're like, you know, um the stage lighting like that every everything is usually quite a little bit more what do you call it? Um what's the word? Manure? No, it's not manure. <laughs> 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 well, you know, Freudian slip. Um wow. you know, everything is a little little bit more like toned down. Mm -hmm. and um, slightly dimmer. And it it adds to the atmosphere when you're in the concert.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, but from a photographic point of view, it's a pain in the the neck. And of course, in classical concerts, you don't really have color. You know, that's the other thing. People don't wear colorful clothes. Instruments are not really colorful. You get basically gold-colored brass instruments and wood-colored wooden instruments. That is pretty much it, yeah. And, you know, and so... Um, and then as far as the stages are concerned, they're not particularly colourful either, so they're pretty bland. It makes it a tricky image to do with no kind of colour contrast at all. It's just a bit, okay. So Okay, you know. so again, you know, I come back to what, what we said at the very beginning when we talked about the three heads in a row thing. Um, you know, what do you try and convey? What is the thing you want to capture as a photographer in that sort of situation? You know, if you just take a picture of somebody playing a violin, well, that's just somebody playing a violin. But if you capture somebody like, you know, who like if you capture some, somebody's facial expression when they're really just in the thing, you know, mm-hmm. and you can really see that um, they are really, in, you know, involved in what they're doing, it's all about the facial expressions again. Yeah. You know, that's the
1: thing. Like whether it's the soloist or whether it's just somebody in the string and section. And that's why it's important as soon as you're there and starting to try and pick out who you think those individuals are because you, hopefully you can tell relatively quickly, yeah. oh, you might do something interesting. You, 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 you might. The rest of the people might not. Okay, so now you've picked out those who you might want to focus on for close-ups of some description to yeah. do something interesting. Everyone else can get captured in some medium-wide kind of kind of shot. Yeah. And That's what's really important, to pick those out, even if it's a four-piece band on stage. Sure. Yeah. They're not all going to, well, they might all be as interesting as each other, in which case, great, got a bit more work to do. There might only be one of them who actually ever does anything? Depending on the level of the band, whoever does anything on stage, and the rest of them are just not interested and just you yeah. know, and especially heading across the stage. Well, and stuff yeah, like I mean, that. and you know, especially in this particular situation you know,
0: where we're shooting the, the battles, Battle of the Bands, it's you know, um, the performers are young. You know, they're relatively young, so yeah. they don't necessarily have either they don't have a lot of you know on stage um, experience or they're really nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, because. Um, the way the event is set up is, is such a massive gig for them that, you know, the vast majority of them would have never played anything
1: like it. You know, with stage crew and lighting crew mm. and like big lights and a huge stage and everything. Sometimes I forget what it's like to be in your first originals band or or whatever. And it's yeah. nervous going out on, on stage. But it's nervous it's, enough playing at school. But then when you're in front of a
0: massive audience mm. on a big stage with all the crew and all the lights and you know, you've got sound technicians and all that, all that kind of stuff, you know, people ushering you on stage... That's That must be nerve-wracking. And I'm always... I'm amazed. You see? And I'd almost refuse to play without all of that stuff these no, Well, days, yeah, you know? It's, it's different. <laughs> it's, that is very different. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really... I'm always amazed what happens when... Because cause we see them throughout the day doing a sound check. Mm. and We see how nervous they are. Um, but then when they actually walk out into the limelight, basically, and... Um, and they perform. I'm always amazed how they how they really pull it off. And this is the this is the seventh battle of the bands that mm. we've done. So we've done this for seven years with you know a year, um, a year's gap in the middle um, because of COVID. But it's really it, I'm I'm amazed. And you know when I've just I've literally just finished editing all the photos um, from that shoot, mm-hmm. and you know looking back through those, um, there's some incredible shots in there. You know, not that I'm blowing my own trumpet, but it's incredible because you know we've seen these kids come through the audition stages and through soundcheck and all that kind of stuff, and then you know actually, and, you know, watching them audition and seeing them on stage at the final are two totally different things. I mean, yeah. you know, even the ones where we like we think like, okay, well, you know, they may have just scraped through to the to the mm-hmm. final or something, um, when you actually see them perform, they're you know mm-hmm. incredible. So yeah that was uh that was good fun yeah
1: really was really really was we had a um a pro band on didn't we to um towards <laughs> the end right okay yeah who uh who were great um at, at what they did and their idea of the what i really liked was their projector where they're projecting a, a, basically a story um in comic form all the way through the concert so the concert was Synced. It's not like they just, you know, start and go, right, yeah, what's, what's the next, chaps? And look at their set list. It's set. It's playing back with any backing tracks or click that they've got going so that the video is always in sync throughout the entire performance cause it carries on when they're not playing. Mm-hmm. And then they get ready. They'll get cues in their ears to go, right, moving on. That was all very, very cool. Um, well, I may as well have not filmed it. Oh, uh- so, And the reason for that is because they had and wanted all of the lights off on stage. Every single light was off, except they had uh, one small, and it was small, uplighter into the drums, which at times looked very, very cool. And uplighters within their custom made mic stands, yeah, that's right. look cool. um, which again, looked really, really cool. And then obviously the light from the projector onto the the, the screen yeah. that they were using to for the video. But you couldn't see anything else. So that's that was actually one of the biggest issues. Um you know, it was um
0: just needed some more general ambient light to go across
1: it, it and it look, would have looked great.
0: Yeah, the problem the problem, of course, I mean you can see why they did that, because of the projector thing. You know, if there was too much um, light on the stage, you wouldn't have seen the projection. But because of because of the projection, you really couldn't see anything else. And what it meant was there weren't any photos to be had because it was literally darkness across the stage. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that in many ways was disappointing um, because it was such a good band and it would have been great to be able to create some, you know, promotional um, material for them there. And I think that's really something they're going to have to think about in their marketing because mm. actually what it means is, they've really come away with a lot less material to
1: potentially promote themselves now, you know, and that's a problem. They need to get in a hall or somewhere, which can be used to look a bit like a feel like a bit like a concert, a Mm. bit, you know, gig situation. And they need to try out some lighting techniques to see how that, that projector can still be seen yeah. yet there's enough ambient light on stage to for people to see cuz yeah. the crowd couldn't even see their faces they so didn't know the th- idea what was going yeah, on
0: yeah and i you know the thing about projections um there's a thing we did so years ago um we started a, a thing called Guitari lounge which was a um an open mic night for under 18s mhm you yeah. which we did for the bucknshire music trust a so similar thing and uh, we didn't really have a lot of stage lighting um, at the time, so we had like PA gear and whatever, and um, and and so I thought, okay, since since we haven't got a budget for like moving lights or any, any of that, why don't I just get a projector and I basically project a movie onto the stage, onto everything and everybody on stage. Um, as long so, as it wasn't some kind of home movie. No, <laughs> there are basically um, you know uh, cartoons. It's like, you know, um, I can kind of remember like Disney movies or whatever. But what I did was I defocused the whole thing slightly. So you could kind of you could see sort of what was going on, but it was all out of focus. But what was happening was you had these projections going onto everything, and everything was moving all of the time, and all the colors and all the movement basically made it appear as if there were moving lights mm-hmm. hitting the stage. And that actually looked awesome. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really about seeing what the projection actually was. It was more about just giving you a visual spectacle on stage. Mm. And then over time, that beca- it became this this sort of running joke thing where people were trying to work out which movie I've been projecting mm. that night. You know, uh, because it was slightly out of focus, it wasn't necessarily always obvious. Uh, but we did all sorts of different things. Like sometimes there, there were, you know, um, cartoon-type movies, you know, animated movies, sometimes there were actual just you know, actual movies. I think with Iron Man one time and whatever, you know. So, um, but that really worked. It was a really cool effect.
1: Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, this is it, isn't it? Make use of what you've got. Well, exactly, and, yeah. And, you know, try and do something, you know, whether it's quirky or fun or technical, it doesn't matter, just, just whatever. It does, does the job. But the main point was,
0: you know, obviously, was to actually illuminate what was happening on stage. Mm. And, and I feel like with the performance that we saw, you know, last week. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you could watch the comic cartoon thing on the projector, but you couldn't really see the band. And that was, it was sort of missing the point a little bit. Yeah. You know, and they were really good performers as well. Cause I was standing right by the, by the front of the stage and actually watching them perform. They were incredible, especially the bass player was like, mm-hmm. he was like a, like a, Duracell bunny yes he was you know Um, and so there was a lot of action it was it just felt a bit like man if you know if we could if that would have been lit differently then the audience would have actually been able to enjoy the band even more yeah so anyway there you go but photographically there wasn't anything happening no and I had a look at some of the shots that I took out I tried you know, I, at one point I ramped my, my ISO up to like over 50,000 just for the heck of it. still nothing. <laughs> I mean it's just not happening. yeah so um uh, so that was uh anyway, so you know, there you go. and we've got another another concert situation coming up in a not too distant future. actually in two weeks' time, we're going to be at the Albert Hall, the Royal Albert Hall That's filming. I
1: mean. I've forgotten about that
0: filming a massive yeah performance of over a thousand singers yeah so
1: that'll be full house as well full house as well yeah exactly yeah that's gonna be epic
0: yeah and that's in this case it's gonna be all video yeah so that
1: will be will be cool we will share more after the event yeah, yeah absolutely yeah to say how how damn difficult it was <laughs> Or easy, who knows? <laughs> we're
0: gonna see, we'll see if we can we can create a little bit of behind-the-scenes content there as well, because yeah. um, that would be interesting. Yeah, we should have the ability to that, I think, on yeah. the day. Yeah, the Hall is a cool venue. This would be, mm. the I think, the fifth time or something yeah. I shoot there. Um, I've, I've only ever shot stills there. Yeah. So, um. Wear comfortable shoes. <laughs> well, <laughs> not in our case this time, because we're going to be in the same spot. Oh, true. Yeah, so yeah. we'll be all right. When you shoot still still in the in the Abbot Hall, let me tell you, it's all stairs. Yeah. Oh. All the way up to the sixth floor. There's no way down. around it. Nope. Awful. And you be running around like a nut. So, yeah, I've done that many times. <laughs> Too many times. Yeah, yeah. Um, Looking forward to that. So, what else is new? Um, actually, i tell you what, one thing we're going to have to kind of at least cut into because it's the one thing I think everybody's talking about at the moment and it's got old. It's still music related, actually, weirdly, um, but it's got to do with Snoop, Snoop, Snoopy, Snoop McSnooperson, Snoop Dogg. What about him? So we'll see done now. Okay, so it's it's yet again a discussion about um, about image. Co- it's an image copyright issue. So okay. in a nutshell, right. um, there's a photographer named El Pereira, and He took a photo of the rapper Nas um, stood right next to – what's his face? Uh, Tupac Shakur Mm -hmm. um, back in the 90s or something. And then he eventually posted that photo on his Instagram. Um, But then a little bit later, um, Nas then took that photo and posted it on his Instagram account – and so now, Al Pereira is basically suing Nas for um, copyright infringement over that um, over that photo. And so Snoop Dogg has weighed in and recorded a video on his Instagram account. Of course, he has. Basically, uh, talking, he's sort of weighing in um, on the, on that lawsuit. Um, basically, saying, you know, um, you know, the the rights to copyright to photos should be with the the celebrity who's depicted in the photo rather than with the photographer who's taken the photo. Okay, so what, uh. he's, so what he's saying is, is, you know, um, in his own experience as an artist, you know, uh, many times somebody's taken a photo of him and then um, profited or benefited from that photo, um, and yet he hasn't seen any, any recompense for
1: that. And he feels that because it's his likeness, he should have a part in that. Is that not the same principle as... Me walking down the street and taking a photo of someone that's in the street, or a group of people, or whatever it might be, and then making money off that image, let's say, or used it in a way that I made money elsewhere, whatever it might be. I don't owe those people money. Is that not? Is oh, I, know, what I, mean, I mean, yeah.
0: In, in principle, it would be exactly the same thing. Ultimately, it boils down to the fact that the creator of the work, i.e., the photographer who actually pressed the shutter button, um. The creator of that work holds the copyright to that work, mm-hmm. and and not the the person that's depicted in it. So that's you know that's very clearly defined in, in copyright law. Um, not only in the United States, if I mean, you know, we're we're in the UK, but it's exactly the same over here. Yeah. You know, so in that respect, it's no difference. Um, now, and although there may be uh, slight variations when it comes to uh, copyright laws in different countries, you know, um, you just think street photography is very different in Germany than it is here. But um, but in this case, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same. So, you know, it's, it's the person pressing the shutter button that owns the rights of the photo. And so if you then, you know, nick that photo basically and post it on your own social media, which then aids you to, um, you know, increase your career or whatever, then, you know, you use, you're using that basically to market yourself. And so therefore you know, you're you're infringing copyright unless you have the rights to do so. And in this case, of course, you know, Nas didn't have the rights because he didn't he didn't ask. Mm. Um and I think Alper actually did say, you know, that he was never asked about licensing or anything like that. He could would have quite happily um sold the license. As a photographer who actually makes a living off of licensing mm-hmm. his work, um, he felt that, you know, um he felt strongly enough about it to take that to court. What's he selling him for, do we know? much i don't know actually i don't know Hmm. no i don't know but uh, i should see how that plays out so the i mean the interesting thing was really that snoop i mean you know what strikes me is that first of all first of all like in his video snoop dogg was talking about you know artists being hard done by because they don't get a share um but but it basically just means to me that he just you know he doesn't really view the photographer as an artist. Yeah, he just, exactly right. You know, he just views himself as the artist who's done who's done by, um, and uh, you know, and I, is that really I mean it, it didn't sit very well with me when I saw that and when I listened to him, um, and I sh- I'm sure in his mind he was making a valid point, but actually yeah.
1: that's not what the law is. No, so. it's just not. He's not quite fought it all the way through, yeah. and you know I. I don't blame him for thinking mm. it thinking that way. He just yeah. needs to think a little bit wider and just go okay, right? Well, they are content creators. They are. Yeah, it's, that's it's a shame. Yeah, it was really that was uh, that was thing. So it, it seems I'm trying, like I'm trying to think of an analogy for actual music creation and how that could. There's a way to. Well, I mean, it'd be it'd be exactly the same thing. It's like, for instance, let's
0: say you write a song right? It gets played on the radio. Somebody tapes it, like in the olden days, remember we used to like tape stuff off of the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, then you, you tape a song, you record it off of the radio and then you use it in your own stuff. Like, let's say use it in your own video or something as as background music. So you're clearly infringing copyright there because you're not the creator of that particular work. And you should have License, that license me, thing. For Yeah. for example. Yeah. So it's exactly the same thing. The thing about social media is, of course, it's difficult because social media is a relatively new phenomenon. Um, I, you know, it is fair to say that, you know, the laws surrounding copyright issues have not caught up with all of that social media stuff. And, that, you know, there'll be, I'm pretty sure there'll be, you know, amendments and changes and stuff that will be coming into place over the next, I don't know, number of years or 10 years or whatever mm-hmm. as social media and it's weird to say as social media becomes more of a thing because it's already a huge thing, you know, but, yeah. but you know, I think inevitably the legal framework around something like that will always limp behind, you know, yeah. what was actually happening. So, uh, but anyway, at the moment, you know, as as the law stands, that is it. I mean, it's, that's just, you know, that's yeah. just it. Um, it'll be easy to think that, you know, if you're if you're writing music you tend you tend to borrow creatively from other creators. In fact, um Ed Sheeran, of course, is in the dock <laughs> at the moment. He's got a copyright suit, um, lawsuit that he's fighting, um, you know, uh where he's been he's been accused of stealing um a part of um what's it called? A shape shape, shape view. Shape of you. Yeah. So there's yeah. A, there's the um OAOA OA part in there that he's apparently nicked from another artist. Um, I've, that only got released like a year earlier or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard right the least. original track, and yes, you can see the similarities for sure. Mm. Um, but that is about it. Um, anyway, so you can see how, you know, this is not really something that's that's um, just relevant in photography. It's relevant in in, in the creative arts yeah. in general, yeah. you know. So, And he always will be. And he always will be, he know? Know? exactly. He always will be because how do you prove you know i mean with, with photographs it's it's relatively easy to tell i mean the thing the thing with copyright
1: is that there are occasions this is right think of this right think of the Ed Sheeran hmm. situation he's let's say he has taken let's call it inspiration from someone else's song to create part of his one of his tracks right that's that's the situation there give hmm. or take what if what if i Considering you just taught people how to do this, what if I went and did your three heads in a row shot of someone, right? Right. Okay. And I used all your style, all your techniques, everything about it. Got exactly the same kind of look with someone else, and then published that. Oh, but that's fine. Right. So what? How do they, How does that differ?
0: Okay. So the way that that do you differs see what I mean? is all right. So if somebody basically, I, I've I've just revealed my methods, right? Um, if somebody creates a photograph. That's in my style, but it's their own photograph that they've created and they press the shutter button. Yeah. They made all the decisions. That's perfectly fine. That's cool. It's a homage if you want. But, but if what, somebody, what, why is it different for Ed Sheeran? Um, well, this is this is exactly the argument that he's trying to make. Is uh, first of all, you know, it's. I think his argument is that that particular line is sort of a standard line that that you come across a lot. These sort of court cases, you, know, you always have musicologists arguing that, and then they find different examples from lots of different songs, mm-hmm. from different areas, eras, even where you know sim- very similar melodic lines have been used, and then you know, and then it's like, okay, I mean, that's why you can't copyright a chord progression because yeah. chord progressions are used. Just imagine, like, who was to copyright twelve-bar blues? Twelve-bar uh-huh. <laughs> blues in A or in E? What? <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. you know, every yeah. blues track would be an infringement at that point. You know, so it's it's pointless. Um, you know, um so. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless somebody took one of my photos that I've created and then passed it off as their own or used
1: that. That's, that's, that's where it becomes different, right? And that's where it's that, different, That's yeah. a bit like, well, we have had the songs where they've taken, legally and deliberately, taken a riff from a particular song and looped it in some kind or of sample, R&B yeah. or, tr- yeah. you know, whatever kind of track it would be. Um, yeah, I think every breath you take, for example, is done, and sure. and all sorts. Of, there's loads of tracks, yeah, Gangsters all of them, right? That's right, Indy, You are sent the stage now, okay? <laughs> um, that's different. But yeah. if you did that without asking and getting permission and licensed that song to be able to do that,
0: hmm. that's absolutely infringement. But that's why it's commonplace um, to license those samples. I mean, yeah. th- you know, there've been numerous, numerous occasions where. You know, you sit in the studio. You write a song. You want to use this sample. You try and license it, and the copyright holder says no. Yeah. And then you're screwed because you can't. You yeah. can't use it. You know. Um, I mean, you could still release it. Um, you know, but then there's a danger that that you know that you end up you end end up being Absolutely. involved in some lawsuit or something. You get sued or that's whatever. You know. So that's the thing. Um, so yeah. So this, I mean, it's just a thing where. I was watching this, I was reading this article, and then as you know, I watched a Snoop Dogg um, Instagram video, and it's just blatantly obvious that he just doesn't understand copyright law in the slightest,
1: you know. And that's okay.
0: It's when, tricky. It, it's <laughs> sort of okay, but, uh,
1: you know. But given his position, you can't then go and spout a whole video about something without knowing that you're... you you know know enough to be right he's also been
0: around the block for long enough to have an understanding of basic copyright idea i mean you know he's Mm -hmm. like how old now
1: he must be 70 oh yeah in his
0: 60s or 70s or something whatever you know i mean he's surely he must have spent some time Mm. you know in his with his record company or something or whatever i mean you know anyway so that is the you know that's the hot topic at the moment. Hot topic. Hot topic. Other than, of course, the fact that, you know, Instagram, Facebook and everything else and YouTube will not have been banned in Russia. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: you know. More, so. more more, more, bans will happen over. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you know. I feel sorry for the Russian people um, that they've got to put up with all of that. They're they're all well, all right. There's some of them who should be sanctioned and all of that. That's fine. Mm. But a lot of people getting sanctioned who have just fallen into wherever they fall into because they're Russian. There are a lot of people in you know, I'm sure the majority of the Russian people want nothing to do with what's going on, you know. And I I think it's right that everybody else out there remembers that and that it's not the Russian people who are doing this. I think that's extremely. There might be, there will be supporters of it, of course. There would be if we. If the UK went and did something like that, there's going to be people in the UK all for it and most of the people not for it. It's extremely important to remember that the vast, vast majority
0: of Russians that live in this country, you know, have nothing to do with this this war, clearly, and don't support it and everything else. And so, you know, what really pains me is when I see or read reports where, you know, premises of shops have been... You know, spray painted or whatever, you know, or people have been threatened. There was a report this morning that somebody's, you know, um, like I think the owner of a Russian sauna has been had death threats on her phone. I mean, that's just ridiculous. You know, if you think about it, Um, that's that is tragic. So I think, you know, we in this country have to remember that, you know, this is this is a situation that really has very little, if nothing, to do with with the people. This really is, you know, a regime or a government um going at another so,
1: you know at another right. government, and so you know as found it interesting that was it was it last week Spotify went down twice. We, yeah. Right. We transfer went down yesterday, I think it, it was as well. Yeah, and I was trying there's to read a couple stuff. other things as well that have yeah. happened. Mm. Yeah, we transfer was yeah, it went down um at about around about yeah. six thirty, something like that. If issues are exactly. happening to servers that are connected mm-hmm. to that side of the Europe, for yeah. example. And yeah, they're using other servers to yeah. whatever. But anyway, stuff not, like that, not huh?
0: that you know, not, we're not political on this podcast, obviously ever really. But you know. That was just uh, something that was that was obviously going on this week. Yeah. Um Cool. cool. Well, we have, in we fact, have. come to the end uh, for this week's podcast. So this was podcast number ninety-eight. 98. Camera Podcast number ninety-eight. Um, again, two away from a hundred. We've we'll got something special planned for you for um, our one hundredth anniversary. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, um, that being said, this is the end of episode. Ninety-eight. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, remember that you can hop over to YouTube where you can not only listen to our sultry voices, but you can see our lovely faces in full Technicolor over at youtube.com forward slash camera shake. And with blue and pink lights behind us. Blue and pink lights. That's it. There's some other announcements. We're going to talk about a little bit more next week um, mm-hmm. because we're planning a Facebook group, which will be up and running uh, by next week. So we'll tell you all about it. Um, then, you know, follow us on social media, obviously Facebook, Instagram, Um, YouTube, and all the rest of it. Leave a comment if you like. uh, Leave us, you know, support us by leaving us a little review or, you know, hitting the like button. That would really help us a lot. And that's it for this week. See you next Thursday. See you later.